Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John, and I am grateful for you. Glad you're joining me here on the Bible in Life. My goal with the Bible in Life is just to provide some real clear, down-to-earth Bible teaching, reflect on that, think that through, and to do so in clear, down-to-earth, everyday language, the kind, of, the kind of language we use when we just talk in normal life, with the goal that we can really understand what the text is saying to us in such a way that it'll help us follow Jesus right in the midst of our everyday life. So that's what the Bible in Life is about, hence the name, Bible in Life. And I am glad you're here and joining me. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. Always great to have first-time listeners here. And I pray you find this helpful and thought-provoking to you as you seek to serve and follow Jesus. Last week on uh, the Bible in Life, we started a new kind of mini-series that really is just more like... um, kind of thinking out loud reflections about something that has attracted my attention and really is a cause for concern for me. And what we talked about specifically last week is that if we're going to call ourselves Christians or followers of Jesus or whatever phrase we use to refer to ourselves, if we're going to say, man, I, I believe in Jesus and I want to follow him, the most fundamental thing that means is that God is the absolute boss. Like, if we're going to say Jesus is Lord, then what that means is I am not. Uh, I don't ultimately decide what I want to do with my life, how I want my life to be arranged, how, what choices I'm going to make, what values and virtues I am going to say are important to me and which ones are not. I don't get to decide those things. Uh, that God is ultimately in charge of my life. And that's what it means for him to be on the throne of the universe, but also on the throne of my life, that he's the absolute boss and he's in charge. And we started this little series with that discussion last week. Want to follow that up this week. And want to begin with an interesting phrase, uh, sort of almost a passing phrase, one that would be easy for us not to pay total attention to, out of the book of Titus. Uh, Titus chapter 1. Paul is writing to his ministry colleague, Titus. uh, And Titus is on the island of Crete. And apparently, they've been doing some ministry there. There's a church or churches on the island of Crete. And Paul says he left Titus there to get it all set up and get it put in order. And part of what that means is appointing leaders. And so this little phrase that I want to just have us listen to is in the context of what Christian leaders must be like. Now, a Christian leader, an elder or pastor, that's sort of the context here, uh, is supposed to be an example, a model of a disciple of Jesus. So what is said about the leaders is the aim and target for all followers of Jesus. That's important for us just to keep in mind as we listen to this phrase. Here's what Titus chapter 1 verse 7 says. Paul, writing to Titus, says, For the overseer, that is the elder, uh, somebody who is an elder, church leader, must be beyond reproach as God's steward. Um, And here's the phrase. So he must be beyond reproach since he's God's steward. He's managing God's affairs. And then the next line is this. 
not self-willed. That's the phrase that would be easy for us just to blow by and just read the whole list of all the other uh, things that he's going to describe the church leader must be like. But first and foremost, he says here, he must not be self-willed. And the reason that phrase strikes me is because it's really at the heart of my concern that led me to want to kind of reflect on this here on the podcast. Here's my concern. I'm concerned that there's all sorts of people who, at least in my sphere of influence, the people on my uh, social media feeds and people that I have known or people that I know who know somebody, right? Like my concern is that there's people who say they are followers of Jesus, they say they're Christians, and yet they are self-willed. Um, that the final authority of their life is themselves. Um, I have referred to that as sort of like the rise of the autonomous self. Like, ultimately, I decide. Ultimately, I'm in charge. Ultimately, my sensibilities are what really everything must agree with. So if I'm reading the scriptures... And something it says in the scriptures that just doesn't quite sit right with me. I yeah, don't quite think that feels right to me. Well, then that bit of the scriptures must be wrong. Or I have to deconstruct that bit of the scriptures. Or, well, and if I see enough of those things, eventually I just reject the whole thing. This is my concern, that there's plenty of people who would call themselves followers of Jesus, some who are quite active and quite involved in their their church, but when I hear them talk, it sounds like they're fairly self-willed and that ultimately they are the ones who are in charge of their life. And this, uh, being self-willed, this is the original sin of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, if you're not super familiar with the flow of the biblical story, Genesis 3 is the climactic moment in the creation account where uh, all that has been deemed good is now tainted and ruined because mankind, Adam and Eve, uh, revolted against God and went their own way. We typically refer to it in theological terms as the fall. This is uh, Genesis 3 is the fall of mankind. But the original sin there in Genesis 3 is to decide, yeah, God must be wrong. I think I know more what I'm talking about. It's to be self-willed. Let me just read you a little bit from Genesis chapter 3. Uh, The serpent comes up to the woman and says, Has God really said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman replies by actually quoting God. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, he certainly will not die. Notice what he's doing. He's planting seeds of doubt, planting seeds of questioning, getting her to kind of think through what God has said. Uh, And he says, for God knows the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll become like God and knowing good and evil. In other words, God's holding out on you and um, you can't really trust him. And then here's the here's the line that I want us to hear. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes 
and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate as well. Notice what the man and the woman do. They just make up their own mind. The woman knows what God said. She's quoted it back to the serpent. But after the serpent kind of plants this little seed of doubt, she looks at the tree and she just decides, well, it is good looking for food. Yeah. Oh, and man, that tree really is beautiful. And mm, if that'll make one wise, then guess what? I'll go for it. And she just did her own thing. And Adam joined in. He did his own thing. And they just made up their own mind. They were self-willed. That's the original sin that led to the uh, what we call the fall, and then all the fallout from the fall and the ruin and devastation uh, that has ensued all around planet Earth. Um, and so being self-willed is at the heart, according to the Bible, it's at the heart of the, the uh, human problem. Like our fundamental problem is being self-willed. And that's why this is so concerning to me that... Uh, we somehow think that, well, I'm the ultimate determining factor in what's wise, what's good, what's beautiful, what makes sense. Uh, and so if I see something and I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I know the scriptures say, but maybe I'm misunderstanding it, or maybe the scriptures are wrong, or my, my pastor is just as old school. He doesn't get it. So, and if it doesn't align with our sensibilities, we just we just do our own thing, whether at a very personal level or at a, a, a grander level, we become the ultimate authority of our life. We're self-willed, and that's a problem. And that's why Proverbs chapter 9 says what it says. Proverbs chapter 9 is a very well-known um, line out of the book of Proverbs. You may have heard it. It says this, Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Uh, When it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that word beginning means like it's the spring from which the river of wisdom flows. It's the fountainhead of wisdom. And so, What is the the fountainhead of wisdom? What's the spring of gaining wisdom, acquiring wisdom? Well, it's the fear of the Lord. And that's not a phrase we particularly hear much anymore or talk about anymore. And yet it's uh, repeated over and over and over again all throughout the scriptures as a a fundamental uh, component of a good, blessed, wise human life, that that if we're going to actually have wisdom and understanding, it's going to start with fearing God. It's going to be marked by the fear of the Lord. Uh, and what is the fear of the Lord? Well, ultimately, the fear of the Lord is this, this deep uh, reverence, this deep honor 
for God, recognizing that he is God and I am not, recognizing that he's the creator of all things. So he understands how all things are supposed to operate and he owns all things as the creator. They are his. And so he's in charge um, that because he made me and because he redeemed me, as we talked about on last week's episode, he owns me. I belong to him. I'm not my own. To recognize that he is infinite and I am finite, that he has infinite power. I have very limited power. He has infinite knowledge. I have very, very limited knowledge. Um, this is what it means to fear the Lord, that he is high and mighty and great and awesome, and he is in charge of all things. And notice that the proverb says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning, the fountainhead of wisdom. Well, what's wisdom? Well, wisdom's not the same thing as information. It's not the same thing as just knowledge. Uh, wisdom in the book of Proverbs is like the two big categories in Proverbs are the wise person and the fool, uh, wisdom and folly. And what wisdom is in contrast to folly is having the skill of living well. That's what wisdom is in Proverbs. It's uh, a wise person is someone who has the skill of life. And in Proverbs, it's grounded in the nature of reality, in the nature of creation, in the way life and the world is designed to operate. Now, we know that we live post-Genesis 3, we talked about that, post the fall, that the world isn't you know, functioning fully the way God intended it to be or that it will someday when God restores all things. Nevertheless, uh, there still is a fabric to reality that's a, that's a holdover from the way God created the world. And wisdom is to live the way the universe, the way the world, the way we as human beings are designed to operate. So it's grounded in the way the world really is. Um, maybe not the way it always functions, but the way it's designed to function by the creator. And that's the reason the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Since the Lord is the creator of both the earth and of humans, he knows the way it's supposed to work, the way it's designed to operate. And thus, as we, uh, we submit to his authority, we uh, listen to him with great reverence, honor, and awe, we begin to acquire wisdom for how to go about life. We begin to learn the skill of living the way God created us to live. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because it's rooted in the way we're designed to operate. That's why, for example, in another wisdom writing, the book of Ecclesiastes, a totally different kind of wisdom writing, but even there in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, the author of Ecclesiastes can say that like the fear of the Lord brings good to life. Like it, it makes life good and beneficial and worth living, that it, it, like, while it sounds to 
our ears, perhaps this may be something harsh, difficult, oppressive, fearing the Lord. What Ecclesiastes says as it looks at life and offers us some perspective on life, it says that people who fear the Lord, they actually benefit from that fear of the Lord, that it's a good thing because it helps us live not against the grain of reality, but in sync with the way the world is designed to operate. So if we want to know wisdom, and if we want to live the way we're meant to live, and if we want to experience the blessing and benefit of that, it starts and ends with fearing God. And a number of years ago, I actually thought, I just want to do maybe a more kind of holistic study of what the Bible says about fearing God. So I looked up and read every single passage where that phrase was used throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. There's actually quite a few of them. And what's really fascinating is that while the fear of the Lord is sort of like this internal heart set, um, the, the scriptures routinely connect it with external actions and behaviors. In fact, um, frequently, both in the Proverbs and even in the, uh, the Torah, the Old Testament law, um, into the New Testament, the fear of the Lord is associated with obeying God's commands, with pleasing God, with doing what God has asked. In other words, that when we fear the Lord, we are not self-willed. When we fear the Lord, we recognize he's smarter than us, he's wiser than us, he knows better than us, we trust him, and therefore even if something he said doesn't initially make sense to us, we're like, okay, but I know he knows more than me, and he is God, and he's the creator, therefore I will do what he says. And that's consistent throughout the entire Bible, that when someone fears God, they do what God says, and they want to please him. And so in the wake of that study, because there was just so many texts and I had phrases for each of them, I tried to summarize what I saw as um, like four habits or four practices that would help us grow in, that would encourage and kind of incubate and inculcate the fear of the Lord in our mind and our heart that grew out of this study of looking at all these texts. So here's these four categories that'll help you, help me be people who fear the Lord so that we can gain wisdom and all the benefits that go with it. First is this, uh, recounting God's mighty works in creation and redemption. That the fear of the Lord is fostered by setting our mind, in not just our mind, but even recounting out loud to ourselves, to other people, recounting God's mighty works in creation and making the world and in redemption and the things he did in the Old Testament to redeem Israel and the things he did in and through Jesus to redeem um, all mankind. And so recounting God's mighty works in creation and redemption will encourage us to fear the Lord. Second category, uh, regularly hearing the word of God read to us, preferably in large chunks. Like throughout the, the scriptures, this is one of the things that is associated with helping God's people maintain and learn the fear of the Lord is that they hear the word of God. They listen to it in larger chunks and they process it and they fill their heart and their mind with it. So listening to hearing the word of God. The third a practice that will help us grow in the fear of the Lord is studying 
and holding before our mind's eye the knowledge of the Holy One. You heard that there in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, right? Like knowledge of the Holy One uh, leads to understanding, like actually knowing Him, knowing who He is, knowing what He's like, uh, paying attention to His ways and all of that. So uh, studying and holding before our mind's eye the knowledge of the Holy One. And then the fourth practice that will help us grow in the fear of the Lord is actually uh, setting our focus, being mindful of the fact that there is a future for us and for all mankind, and that future will have us standing before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, where it says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to be repaid for the deeds done in the body, whether good or bad. Then Paul says in verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, notice that, the fact that we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, Paul says, is part of what it means to fear the Lord. So not only did he make us and bought us, but he'll also judge us and hold us accountable for how we used our life, for the things we did in life. And so fixing our focus on the fact that we are held accountable and responsible for our actions, and God will hold us accountable for that, that there will be a day of accountability that scripture refers to with the image of standing before the judgment seat of Christ. And so Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we make it our aim to please him in everything. Um, that that leads him to live his life in a way that's going to honor God and please God. And so as people who are followers of Jesus, we need to cease being self-willed uh, we need to uh, have a healthy fear of deep respect and, awe and honor for God and his name and his glory. And as a result of that, we want to please him. We don't want to do our own thing. We don't want to go our own way. We recognize that we are susceptible to misunderstanding, uh, that our preferences and our sensibilities are not, um, are not infallible. We recognize that God knows more than we do as the creator and maker of all things. And so we trust him and we listen to him and we begin to the best of our ability by his grace and through his spirit to put into practice the things he has told us to do, whether they always make sense to us or not. And one of the things we realize as we do that is, is that the more we practice what God has told us to do, the more insight and understanding we have of those commands, why he told us to do that, and it's like the lights begin to come on for us, and life and the world make sense, because God is wise, and as we fear him and follow his ways, we ourselves acquire wisdom too. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. Uh, thanks for being a part of the Bible and Life family. Thanks to those of you who make this ministry and the ministry of the listener's commentary possible by your faithful, generous support. May God bless you for it. Uh, I pray this week that you will live with a healthy fear of the Lord and you will honor him in all that you think and do. May God bless you. I look forward to talking to you again next week.